The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. The store was out of turkey, so my mom bought us two packs of bologna and said, meat is meat. Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. One year, my grandmother kept complaining about the awful snacks. She was eating the potpourri. Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. My mom messed up the gravy recipe so bad that all night people were asking, may I have a slice of gravy, please? Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. This one is my favorite. My girlfriend told me to dress up for her family's Thanksgiving dinner. So I showed up dressed as a pilgrim. She meant wear something nice. Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. Finally, we went around the table saying that we are thankful for what we are thankful for. And my grandma said, thank God we only have to do this crud once a year. (laughs) Hashtag Thanksgiving fails. I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is a pretty uh, eventful holiday in my family. Uh, for us, it is, it, is a, it is a week where we gather together as an extended family, and not only do we celebrate Thanksgiving, it is our family reunion, and we also celebrate Christmas together. And while there is always laughing and hugging and joy in the first few hours, it always seems to devolve into drama and screaming and tears over the next few days. People are accused of cheating in cards games. Children are crying from exhaustion. And sometimes you can cut the bitterness of a broken family with a knife. And to be honest, there are times I say to myself, thank God we only have to do this crud once a year. Hashtag Thanksgiving fail. I think it's fair to say that we as a country have instituted a holiday called Thanksgiving because we so often fail to pause and give thanksgiving. We are, in large, a pretty unthankful people. It is so hard for us to slow down and to thank God from whom all blessings flow. Even at Thanksgiving, it's hard to slow down and pause. Between family gathering, NFL games, Black Friday specials, and cooking turkeys, we often fail to slow down and do the very thing that the, th- that the, that the holiday was created for us to do, which is to slow down, to pause, and to thank God for all the blessings he has given to us. We fail because Not only because we are a busy people, but to be honest, because we are an unthankful people most of the time. And so to prevent another hashtag Thanksgiving fail, the question we want to consider today is how do we cultivate a thankful heart? Not only for this week of Thanksgiving, but for the rest of our life. If you would, please open up to Colossians chapter 1. Don't worry, we did not give up on the book of Daniel, although we have been tempted to at times. Uh, We will cover the last two chapters uh, next week and the week after. But this week, we want to take a moment just to pause and to consider how can we cultivate a heart of thanksgiving this week of thanksgiving. 
And as we look at this passage, what we will be reminded of is that we as Christ's church should be marked by gratitude. We should be known as the most thankful people in the whole world. So let's read together. Colossians 1, verse 1 through 8. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, we come this morning confessing that we often believe that we deserve everything good and that you have given us nothing good, when in fact it's the exact opposite, Lord. Lord, we deserve nothing good and yet you have given us everything good. We are so often focused on the things we don't have that we think we deserve instead of focusing on the things we do have that we don't deserve. And so, God, we come to you today crying out to you, Lord, give us grateful hearts and thankful hearts and generous hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know in the Bible, God does not recommend that we should be thankful. Uh, God does not suggest that we should be thankful. As a matter of fact, God commands that we be thankful. Over 50 times in the Bible, there are commands like, hey, come and give thanks to the Lord God. I'm curious, if you look over the past week of your life, would it be marked with gratitude? Would people who are closest to you say, they are a thankful person? And this passage is the key to unlocking a thankful heart in all times and in all situations. And to be honest with you, I could have gone to a lot of passages, but I love this passage because in this passage, you see the Apostle Paul overflowing with thanksgiving as he expresses his thanksgiving. It builds one on top of the next, on top of the next, on the reasons why he is thankful. And so I want to look at this passage today. And if you are a note taker, I want to encourage you to keep those notes this week and let it be a guide to you on giving thanks to God. And so here are three questions I want to answer, okay? First, question one. Who should we give thanks to? Look at verse 3 with me. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you or for y'all. Okay, that's the southern version of the Bible. For when we pray for y'all. See, Paul here is thankful for the church at Colossae. He's not, he's not thanking God for the whole city of Colossae, although he might be thankful for that as well. But he is specifically giving thanks for the brothers and sisters and saints and faithful in Christ in Colossae. These are people who Paul has never met before. He may have met a few in his journeys, but as, as a whole, he's never met these people before. 
And yet Paul prays for them in his petition to God, always giving thanks to them. And so Paul is thankful for the saints in Colossae. But what is probably even more important is who, God, who Paul is thankful to. You see, Paul is thankful for the saints, but he is thankful to God. Look at verse 3 again with me. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. One time when I was listening uh, on a sermon about this passage, the preacher pointed out that in all of Paul's writings, Paul never thanks a person. Like he never says, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Pete. Uh, Paul always gives thanks to God for Joe and for Pete. And I thought, man, this seems a little strange. And so I decided to dig in and I did a little word search in Paul's letters. And sure enough, as far as I could tell, anytime Paul gives thanks, he's giving thanks to God for these people, for the church or for whatever it might be. And so I thought, well, maybe that's just Paul. And I was curious, so I expanded it to the New Testament. And sure enough, as I looked throughout the New Testament, whenever they give thanks, even as Jesus gives thanks, he never thanks a person. He thanks God for a person. So I thought, well, maybe that's just a New Testament thing. So let's expand it to the whole Bible. And looking throughout the whole Bible, it's the same thing. People are always giving thanks to God for other people. And it's so interesting because even in Isaiah 38, it basically describes, one way it describes Sheol is it's a place where there is no thanksgiving. Now, whether this is 100% consistent throughout the scripture or not, I'm not 100% sure But this does reveal something very important to us. It reveals that for all things, we must be thankful to God first and foremost. I've shared this story with you before, but I think it so uh, helpfully illustrates this. When we moved into our current house, we needed a new refrigerator. And so I found a refrigerator at a consignment shop in town. And, uh, and, I decided, and I purchased the refrigerator and I had moved it into the back of the store or out the back of the store. And at that time we had a, a Suburban and I was trying to load this refrigerator into the Suburban and it was not fitting. And the consignment store was shutting and so there I am, it's dark, it's lonely, it's cold. I'm like, how am I going to get this thing home? And so I decided to call my old neighbor, Pat, who I just moved away from. I said, hey, Pat, I'm in a really bad spot here. Could you come with your pickup truck? We can load up this refrigerator, take it to my house. Could you help me with that? He said, sure, I'll be right there. And so he comes, and as we are driving back, and and as we are in the house, I just feel so indebted to Pat. And so I'm like, Pat, thank you, Pat, thank you. Pat, thank you so much for doing this. Pat, thank you so much for doing this. But as I thought more about it, maybe I was saying the wrong thing. Maybe I shouldn't have said, Pat, thank you, Pat, thank you. Maybe I should have said, Pat, I thank God for you. Pat, I thank God for your friendship. Pat, I thank God for your generous heart. Pat, I thank God gave you a free evening. Pat, I thank God that he gave you a big old pickup truck. James 1 says this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father Now, is it wrong if I say, thank you, Pat? I'm not sure if it is wrong, but I know that it is incomplete. Because our thanksgiving should never end with another person, but it should end with God, at least in our hearts. Our thanksgiving of each blessing must give thanks to the source of each blessing, which is God. 
You know, I was thinking about this. If you turn the tables, like if I came and I helped you and you were gushing saying, thank you, Dan, thank you, Dan, thank you, Dan. I don't know. You've probably been in that situation. If you have ever experienced that, it's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? And I think why it's uncomfortable is because we know in our souls that the thanksgiving should not ultimately be directed towards us, but it should be directed towards God. And so it's so much more encouraging when someone says, Dan, I thank God for that sermon that you gave today. Instead of, Dan, thank you for that sermon, right? Like, now, I won't rebuke you, but God is the one who deserves the thanksgiving. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you this thanksgiving to try to change your language, to try to change the way that you express thanksgiving. And this will be hard to do, and you will mess it up a little bit. But instead of saying, Joe, thank you for making this meal, you can say, Joe, I thank God for your cooking skills with a Z, right? Instead of saying, Susie, thank you for opening your house to me, you can say, I thank God for your hospitality. Instead of saying, thank you for being my mom, you can say, I thank God that he has given you to be my mother. Who should we give thanks to? Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second question, what should we give thanks for? Well, the simple answer is everything. Ephesians 5 says, Be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we give thanks for all things, we give thanks for visible things and for invisible things, okay? Giving thanks for visible things are, 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 is easier for us. It comes more naturally to us, right? Like, Lord God, we thank you for this food. We thank you for this house. We thank you for, you know, these shoes, new pair of shoes, whatever. Like, these are visible things that we give thanks to God for, which we should give thanks to God for. But if you look at this passage, Paul does not focus on visible things. Paul focuses on invisible things, which often do not come as quickly to us, but which are probably much more important than the visible gifts that God has given to us. And so verses 3 through 5 are very instructive to our prayer life. Verse 3 again says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In verses four through five and throughout this short letter to the Colossians, Paul promotes these three invisible Christian virtues over and over again. Faith, hope, and love. First, Paul thanks God for the invisible gift of faith. In Christ Jesus. Verse 3 again, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul isn't thankful here for a generic faith, for a faith in faith, for, for faith that everything's going to turn out okay. He's thankful for their faith, specifically their faith in Jesus Christ. Now why is Paul thanking God for their faith? Why is he not saying to the readers, hey, way to go, good job, way to have faith? It's because Paul knows that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 says it clearly. He says, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. 
See, in ourselves, our hearts are so sinful, so depraved, that our hearts cannot produce saving faith any more than our hearts could produce ponies or chairs or honey. Saving faith is manufactured in our hearts by God through the Holy Spirit. And so saving faith is a gift from God. Therefore, we give thanks to God for saving faith. So we thank God for the faith in Christ Jesus that he has produced in us and in his church through his Holy Spirit. Secondly, Paul thanks God for the invisible gift of the love of all the saints. Verse four again says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Verse eight, and Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The love that Paul is giving thanks to God for is not a normal faith. It is an extraordinary faith. Excuse me. It is not a normal love. It is an extraordinary love. You see, any of us can love our grandchildren. Any of us can love our kids. Any of us can love our our brother or our sister or our friends. Those things happen very naturally to us. Paul is thanking God for a supernatural love that they have for people they have never met before, for saints in Christ Jesus throughout the world. He's thanking them for a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love towards saints that they will never meet until they get to heaven. You know, this was common and is common in the church today. In fact, Paul's missionary journey During it, one of the major reasons was to collect an offering for the poor in Jerusalem who had been devastated by famine and persecution. And the churches, the Christians who had never been to Jerusalem, gave selflessly and sacrificially and unconditionally for the saints whom they had never met before. Romans 15 says, At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And then 2 Corinthians 8.2 says, For in a severe test of affliction, this, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The church throughout the Mediterranean was giving out of their poverty to the church in Jerusalem, and they were giving with joy. This is a supernatural love, a sacrificial love, a selfless love, and a joyful love. And the way that this is possible, the only way this is possible, is if they had first experienced the unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love of God in Christ Jesus. 1 John 4 says it so clearly. We love because he first loved us. In other words, we cannot give a love that we have not yet first experienced. And the only way that we will experience an unconditional, unselfish, costly love is if we have experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul thanks God for the invisible gifts God has given to the saints in Colossae. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for all the saints, and finally, their hope in heaven. 
Let's read this in context, verse 3 through 5. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then here it is. Because of or on account of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The wording here in the original language is very interesting. You see, Paul usually uses the word hope as an attitude or a perspective of, you know, having hope. Like Colossians 1.23, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He usually refers to hope as an attitude. But in this passage, he actually refers to hope as an object. Like a pearl of great price or a precious coin or a treasure in a field. Hope is an object that is laid up for them in heaven. And this object of hope is God himself. He is our object of hope that we receive when we go to be with him in heaven. And it is from him that all these blessings flow. We receive the full blessing of adoption and sonship and being daughters and being children of God. And so Paul is thanking God for this certain hope that the Colossian saints possess in Christ. Now, who should we give thanks to? God. What should we give thanks for? Everything, including the invisible gifts of God, faith in Jesus Christ, love for all the saints, and a hope in heaven. The final question, why should we give thanks now? Really, the who of thanksgiving and the what of thanksgiving is incomplete until we understand the why of thanksgiving. Why should we give thanks to God? Well, verse 5, the second part says this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. What is the word of the truth? The gospel, he says. Why should we give thanks to God right now? Why should we give thanks to God today? Because of what is true. Because of the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is true. And Paul is emphasizing that this gospel truth is a simple truth. You see, one of the reasons why Paul is writing the letter to the Colossians is because some false teacher have infiltrated the church and they say, oh, you believe in Jesus? That's great for you, but you need to do all these other things to really make God happy with you. Especially, you, know, you know, celebrate these special days, these special festivals, these special things. Like, do these things and then God will really be happy with you. But Paul is emphasizing in this whole book the simplicity of the gospel. You see it in part here in verse 6, the second part. He says, since the day you heard it, the gospel truth, and understood the grace of God and truth. He didn't say since the week you understood it or the month or the year or that you studied it for a long time. He said, but the day you heard it and you received it, the simplicity of the gospel. Now you may be asking, what is the simple gospel truth? Well, it's written all over Scripture, but the Apostle Paul most clearly articulates it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, the gospel truth is so simple, a child can understand it, And yet it is so boundless, a theologian could study it for his whole life 
and never even scratch the surface. This is the simple gospel truth that God loves us, that God loves you so much that he came down from heaven, took your sins upon himself, died upon the cross, bearing the wrath of God for those who trust in him, and then rose on the third day to give us newness of life. This is the gospel truth. It is a simple truth. And we are so inclined to add to it because it seems too simple, like it just might not work. You know, when I, when I meet with people, one of my favorite questions to ask them, and you may have been victim of this question, to which I do not apologize, but I will ask people, what makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? And where, where, where our hearts naturally go, feel free to use that question over Thanksgiving if you want. What makes you a Christian? Would you consider yourself a Christian? If so, what makes you a Christian? Where our hearts naturally go, and what I often hear is, well, I'm a Christian because I try to read my Bible every once in a while, because I go to church, you know, because I try to do good things, I try to follow God's will, and that's what makes me a Christian. But that isn't what makes us a Christian. That may be the fruit of being a Christian, But what makes us a Christian is not what we do for God, but it's what God has done for us. The gospel is so simple, it's hard to believe. Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day to give us newness of life. I don't know if you've ever heard this gospel math equation, but it goes like this. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is Christ and Christ alone that saves us. That is the simple gospel truth. Do not be confused. Do not yawn at the gospel. Do not be bored with it. The gospel message in scripture is clear and it is simple and it is concise and it is wonderful. Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture was buried and raised on the third day. That is the simple gospel truth. And we give thanks for that. But we also give thanks for the victorious truth of the gospel. Look at verse five with me again, the second part. It says, of this you have heard before in the, wor- in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it is also among, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. See, the gospel truth is not only a simple truth, it is a victorious truth. And one way we know that it is a victorious truth is simply by looking to the cross. You see, the cross was not created by Christians, it wasn't created by Jesus, it actually came about half a millennium before Jesus. It was an invention probably of the Babylonian Empire, excuse me, the Persian Empire, and it was used because it was an efficient torture device that made an example of criminals, okay? It was then adopted by the Romans because they thought it was such a great instrument of torture and such a display of their power. They would use the cross really to wield their power for hundreds of years. But they were not the only ones who wielded the power of the cross, So did Jesus. The simple gospel truth that this man Jesus, who only taught for three years, wielded the power of the cross, not by killing his enemy on it, but by dying for his enemies on it. So that we could be reconciled to God. And you know what the most amazing thing is? 
is between the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire and the Christian Empire. Two of those you will read in history books, but one of those is alive and thriving and growing victoriously today. If you look, you will see that the church is continuing to grow and to blossom and to flourish. Even in parts of Haiti, as we talked about earlier today. You know, it's amazing. If you ever look at human history, and if you ever look at church history, one thing that sticks out is that people have done everything they possibly could to kill the church. So much corruption, so much turmoil, so much persecution, and yet God's people still live on because this is a gospel, victorious truth working its way and its fruit throughout the entire world. And not only is it victorious throughout the entire world, it is also victorious in you and me here today. I don't know if you've ever paused to think about this, but if you are a Christian, have you ever thought about what your life would be like if you did not know Christ? Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if you didn't become a Christian? If God didn't change and transform your heart? When I stop to think of that question, I shudder. I shudder to think about what my life would be apart from Christ. I would be a horrible, miserable, lonely person. I can guarantee you that because that's what I was before I knew Christ. And it would have only gotten worse. The gospel is victorious throughout the world, but also in our hearts, bearing the fruit of the Spirit within us. The gospel truth is a simple truth. It is a victorious truth. Conquering our hearts, gaining more territory in our lives, and spreading throughout the whole world. Hashtag thankful. Now, you might be here today. I'll close with this. You might be here today and you say, you know, Pastor Dan, thank you for that sermon on thankfulness. That's good for you. You seem to have life together. Things seem to be going well for you. But my life has not turned out the way I had hoped. I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with my marriage, my singleness, my family, my finances, my health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do I have to be thankful for? You know, I'll be thankful when God gives me a little bit more money, or I'll be thankful when God gives me the spouse that I want, or I'll be thankful when I'm a little healthier. If this is where your head and your heart are today, I just want to remind you, that the Apostle Paul is not writing this letter from a beach in Florida. The Apostle Paul is not writing this from his home with a white picket fence and 2.3 children. The Apostle Paul is not writing this from a cozy Starbucks down the street. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, this letter of thanksgiving from a prison in Rome where he is suffering and awaiting torture and death. And yet Paul overflows saying, I always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul possesses a gratitude and a thankfulness that no situation can compromise. A thankfulness that cannot be touched by his health or by his finances or by his love life. And that same thankfulness is offered to you and me in Jesus Christ. When Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, he means it because he knows that it is possible. You see, our earthly circumstances are always in flux. They, they are good, they are bad. But the greatest blessings of God, those invisible blessings that we have talked about, are untouchable by Satan or by the world. 
Forever we are loved by God. Forever we are reconciled to God. Forever we are children of God and friends of God. And for this, we can always be thankful. You know, a Puritan once wrote this. He said, the thankful heart has a continual feast. The thankful heart has a continual feast. Some of your hearts are starving this morning. This Thanksgiving, you may be looking forward to a feast for your belly, but God is offering a feast for your soul that can be consumed through Thanksgiving. Do you want a joy-filled Thanksgiving? Remember what God says in this passage. Who should we give thanks to? To God, the giver of all gifts. What should we give thanks for? The visible gifts, yes, but also the invisible gifts of faith, hope, and love. And why should we give thanks now? For the simple, victorious truth of the gospel. You know, we have a couple extra minutes this morning. So what I want to do is I just want to practice what we just studied. And so I want to give you some time just where you are, because I know Thanksgiving is hectic and sometimes we fail to pause and be still. I'll just give you some moments to sit and to look through this passage and to give thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. And then I'll close this in prayer in a little bit. So please turn to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to him.
Lord, we come this morning confessing that even spending three minutes giving thanks is hard for some of us because it is a habit we have not cultivated in our own souls. And yet, Lord, we have so much to give thanks for, God. The list is endless, Lord. Lord God, we thank you for calling us to yourself as a people, your church. We thank you for producing in us faith and hope and love. We thank you for the simple, active, victorious, beautiful truth of the gospel, Lord. Lord, may our lives be marked with thanksgiving, regardless of earthly situations. May we be a people who are always giving thanks to you because we have so much to give thanks for, Lord. Lord, I pray specifically for this week, this week where we're called to focus on thanksgiving. God, pray that we would set moments aside intentionally just to sit, to be still, and to give thanks to you, Lord. Whether that be in a closet or whether that be on a long car ride when everyone else is asleep, God, may we just sit and be still. It's so hard for us. Help us, Lord, to sit and be still and to recount all the ways we have, all the reasons we have to be thankful to you. Lord, as we turn to your table, once again, we give thanks. We thank, give thanks for the simple gospel that Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give us newness of life. Let us never grow bored of this simple and wonderful truth. Let us always be amazed that a great God would think of us, consider us, and rescue us from ourselves. What a great God you are. We have so much to give thanks for. And we do that now. In Jesus' name, amen.